Welcome into episode 197 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Well, we found out some further news regarding the Boston Bruins and one of their key players, and that's Hampus Lindholm. So I don't know if one of you guys want to mention where the story came from, because after uh, media breakup day, mums was the word, hush hush was the word, but Somebody went back to their native country and let the cat out of the bag. And now we know a little bit more about Hampus Lindholm. Yeah. So just so people know, like we'd recorded the rest of this episode before this news broke, but we did want to touch on it uh, and drop this in because uh, obviously pretty important news that broke on, on Wednesday. Um, And it's weird like this. So he said this to a Swedish newspaper. It was actually last week. And because it was in Swedish, like, Apparently no one picked it up. It just didn't spread across the Atlantic Ocean to to the U.S. Um, But Lindholm told the Swedish newspaper that he had to decline an invitation to play for Sweden in the World Championships because he found out that he had a fracture in his foot. Um, Brian, as you mentioned, you know, we knew Lindholm was dealing with a lower body injury. He, you know, Montgomery had said that. Lindholm had said that. He blocked a shot against Detroit on March 11th and then missed the next game the next day. And then he sat one more game, like a couple weeks after that. And Montgomery said he was um, just dealing with a nagging lower body injury. Uh, Lindholm on breakup day was asked about it and he said he was fine. He said, everyone's dealing with stuff. It is what it is type thing. So uh, my understanding here is that, uh, when Lindholm told the Swedish newspaper that he found out like that day that it was a fracture, I think he's telling the truth. I don't think they knew that he had a fracture in the regular season or during the playoffs. I just don't, whatever x-rays, MRIs that they did, I think it just didn't show up, which can happen, especially if it's like a hairline fracture. They just, they don't always show up. Sometimes it takes further testing or maybe it gets worse or whatever. Um, so I, I actually do believe them that they, you know, they probably didn't know this in the regular season or during the playoffs, um, but they they wound up finding it uh, sometime after the year. Yeah, and, and it was pretty clear, and we had talked about it and didn't really have an answer for how his play had changed um, from – If you think back to the beginning of the season when Charlie McAvoy was still recovering from surgery, it was Hampus Lindholm that was leading the defense. And he looked, he looked like an elite defenseman um, in that stretch of time when he was really their top guy back there. And then, and we were even having a conversation. I remember saying this months ago, um, could Hampus Lindholm be an X factor in the playoffs for the Bruins even more so than Charlie McAvoy. And then that Hampus Lindholm kind of went away and it makes, I to me, it makes more sense that he didn't just hit a slump and that there was um, physical a physical situation going on with him that made his play less comfortable. So therefore, his transition game uh, slowed down. He and we even the last episode that we put up yesterday, we were talking about how what were some of the biggest mistakes, individual mistakes of the 2023 playoffs for the Bruins and Brian yours was Hampus Lindholm clearing the puck over the glass. And there was another time in game seven that Lindholm had a failed clear that led to a goal. Um, 
And so we're pointing to some of his mistakes in the playoffs. And we did not know that at the time he was dealing with the, this foot injury. Well, and I think the biggest sentiment for people when this news kind of came out was, well, that makes sense because I remember during the actual playoff series, we were, we were breaking down one of the games and I remember just watching him and saying on the podcast, he just, he just looked like Bambi. Like he, he was making, and that he, he was, he was just falling with no pressure on him. Like, and, and, and it made no sense to me because skating is probably his greatest asset and best attribute. He's, he's such a powerful skater. And so for him to have to just be, you know, slipping on ice with nobody around him and just looking hesitant going, going in after puck retrievals, I just, it was either this guy just is crumbling under pressure and he's a choke artist or there's something going on. And it turns out that it was, it was the latter, but like, I just, I just don't, what pisses me off. And I think rightfully so. And probably a lot of, a lot of fans is if you're the Florida Panthers and you're, if you're Hampus Lindholm and you're on the Florida Panthers this year and you're, you're scratching and clawing for a playoff spot up until the game 82, that's one thing. But he was on the Boston Bruins, and this Boston Bruins team had a playoff spot all year. But 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 they had a playoff spot locked up for at least the final month of the season, technically, or maybe even longer, right? And so even if the Bruins didn't know, even if Hampus Lindholm didn't know technically it was a broken foot or, or a fractured foot, like, why are you playing? Rest it. Your team is in the playoffs. Your team has locked up the President's Trophy. They locked up the President's Trophy, what, back in early March, late February? What What's the team doing in that situation? That's what annoys me the most. Yeah, which I think is understand. Like, I think it's certainly fair to question, you know, if if the injury really was affecting him that much, like, yeah, why? At least the last couple games, maybe like, you know, I know they wanted to play everyone those last two games to ramp up for the playoffs, but Krejci rested because he was clearly dealing with something. So, yeah, Lindholm could have. I just, you know, I wonder, like, if in Lindholm's mind, is it something where it's like, hey, it, like, it's good enough to walk on. It's good enough. It fits in the foot fits in my skate. I can go out there and skate like I'm playing. They haven't found anything that would indicate like I should be sitting. So, you know, that's one where it's like, obviously if the medical staff had found it, then they can make recommendations based on a fracture and, and say like, okay, you should rest this amount of time. You should rest as much as possible or whatever. But when you don't know that and you think maybe it's just sore, maybe it's whatever you think it's, I don't know, a bruise that's lasted a while, like whatever it might be, you know, you go to the, like the medical staff isn't going to be like, yeah, he should definitely sit. Like they're probably thinking it's just a little sore, but it fits on the skate and he can skate. So like, what's the issue? It's not getting any worse. Um, So it's tough. Obviously, you know, you would like to have caught that earlier and because I'm sure that would change how they would have approached it. But um, you know, to, to bridge it to like the points you're making about it affecting his play, I think, to me, like it, it doesn't excuse like the puck over the glass or the turnover up the boards. Those are just poor decisions. I don't think those really have anything to do with the broken foot, but it certainly does help explain 
like you said, like slow, not being as noticeable in transition, not getting going with a skating game, not being as involved in the offensive zone and cycling and all that. Like that, those are all the areas where his skating ability has always shown up. And now you hear this and it's like, yeah, okay. Like now that makes sense that his skating wasn't as good as, as we had seen earlier in the season. So, um, you know, I think like you, you can look at like the zero points in seven games. You're like, all right, this probably helps explain some of that. Um, still doesn't totally excuse his performance. And, you know, again, obviously like it wasn't serious enough that because like, if you think like broken foot, like fully broken, serious fracture, like that foot's not going in a hockey skate. So obviously it wasn't, that that serious if it's not even showing up on whatever testing they did um but if you're dealing with any sort of foot ailment like yeah it's probably gonna affect your skating and well but like if if it was not feeling better in a month you said that happened against detroit in was it early march yeah march um, 11th. If, if it's not feeling better in a month then i think you know it's not just bruised um and that my guess is it got worse and worse. So like, I think maybe he was dealing with the worst of it in the playoffs because he wasn't resting it. So not only did it not have a chance to heal anything that hit it or, or just skating on it in general could have been making it um, just making it worse. And then obviously having to go get it looked at in Sweden, it was maybe about a month and a half, two months after it happened. So obviously he was probably getting worried like, okay, well this just, it doesn't feel right still. So at some point I'm guessing he or medical noticed that um, if it were just, uh, you know, a bad bruise or what have you, it wouldn't still be painful a month later, a month plus later. Um, and it probably doesn't excuse the puck over the glass and, and the turnovers. But um, I feel like sometimes when you're, playing injured you your mental game suffers because you're trying to fight through pain and you're um you you might not have that quick response time to certain things because your brain is focusing on two different things at the same time which is what should I do with this puck and um how can I play through this pain if he really was in a lot of pain yeah that's a good point like the puck over the glass one Again, we're all on the same page. No excuse there. In fact, like I, I, I mentioned how much of a mistake I felt that it was. But Bridget, to your last point, is he subconsciously taking preventative measures there? Like, is he, is he because of the, the, is he, is he not taking the open ice that's given to him because he's not confident in his abilities to go end to end like he has when he's held? I don't know. I'm not really sure. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's certainly disappointing all the way around because. I just get the sense that every calculated decision that the Bruins made down the stretch just was wrong. Like even, even to the point of let's, let's play, let, let's play everybody the last couple of games to rev up for the playoffs. How'd that work out for you? They sucked in games one and two, even though they split them, they weren't good in, in games one and two. So it, it, it took them till games three and four down in Florida to wake up. And, and, and then, and then it just feels like, it just feels like they mismanaged certain guys with their injuries down the stretch and, and, and forced them into the lineup. And I, I know, I know hindsight's 2020. And if, and if you look back in time, you'll see 
that they did give Krejci a couple games off here. They did give Bergeron a few games off at the end. But if if guys are dealing with 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 st- with stuff that's going to keep them out of playoff games, and you know this, like maybe maybe keep them out a little bit longer than just a couple games in the end of in, in uh, the end of April or I mean um the end of March or early April. So I, I it's it's really frustrating for me. It just feels like when you have such a cushion, you have all, you have you have like just every every opportunity in the world to to go into that playoffs as rested and as prepared as possible. And they just overthought it every step of the way. And there's no excuse for that. Now, my question for you guys, my final question regarding Lindholm is. Well, just, just on that point before you, sorry, before you get to your final question, yeah. like I would just offer a reminder that like they can't set everyone. There is a salary cap and you can only call up a certain number of guys. So like, yeah, you could sit two to three guys a game, but you know, they did that for a stretch, like for two weeks, of, there was a rotation of guys sitting, you know, almost every game and Lindholm did get a couple of those. I, I certainly think, you know, had he been having known like he was in pain or, you know, maybe he wasn't open enough with like, who knows? We, we just, we don't know enough, but you know, yeah, I think it's fair to look at it now and be like, okay, why didn't Lindholm rest more? I mean, I think he played the last like five or six games consecutively so like that's fair but you know it's not like they're going to be able to rest everyone like the final week of the season yeah Yeah. but but think about so they were hall was coming back from an injury and he got he got into the lineup towards the end of the regular season which made sense for him but at that point in time why wouldn't you be trying to get a little bit of rest for lindholm um in that span and if you think about it hall came back from that injury and he looked pretty refreshed and he looked, he looked fresh and he was one of their better guys in the first few games of the playoffs um, in terms of production. And you could see that him taking the time he needed to heal helped him a lot. Um, And you, you wonder what that kind of rest could have done for Lindholm in the playoffs. And I also think if you, if you really go back to the last week of the season, plus the playoffs, just think about how many guys were not a hundred percent either coming in off of injury or injured. Forbert uh, was injured and we didn't know whether or not he should come in. Felino was coming off an injury. Hall had come off a little bit earlier. Then there's the Allmark injury that we still don't have a lot of clarity on. Um, and it just, it, Bergeron and Krejci. There was a lot of injuries that, the Bruins were were dealing with that we didn't necessarily know. We could tell something was off about most of those guys, but um, they seemed to go through most of the season pretty healthy. Um, even after the surgeries, you know, there were no complications to coming back from from all those surgeries that guys had in the off season, and then all of a sudden it all falls apart in the playoffs and at the end of the regular season. So. Um, clearly I mean, some of it's bad luck, but some of it is also definitely mishandling the rest and recovery. But I mean, other teams didn't have the luxury of being able to rest guys down the stretch and they're yeah, still but they playing. Did. So, <laughs> they, like, they did though. No, they, the Florida Panthers it, didn't rest anyone. They're still going. Carolina didn't rest yeah, guys. But they're if still you can playing. Do it, why Dallas, would, like, Vegas, like. No, but she's saying the Bruins could have though. They could have. They yeah, have that. We still they, could have lost in the first round. Like it. 
you know. Yeah, sure they could have, but they we, we've seen that other teams that have rested guys and then they go in rusty. Like that that's what they were trying to avoid. It didn't work for them, but like that was the idea behind it was they didn't want to be like Tampa in 19 and go in rusty. Okay, well they instead went in injured and that was clearly not a great uh strategy either. So I I understand yeah, well, why they that did wasn't, it. That wasn't that wasn't the plan. Like I understand that well, that's that, what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean Patrice Bergeron got injured like it it's easy to say now we shouldn't have played the last game, but but yeah, even though even if we're talking about Lindholm though, that was just a rest situation, not, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to have gotten him a game here and there, but I mean, maybe that's all not even relevant because if if he really wasn't it didn't have any reason to think he needed to rest I, I don't know what, like what those conversations were like because he was probably part of that decis- decision making should he play should he not play he probably said he was good and they just put him in yeah I mean I don't I don't have a a, a desire to you know sit every single guy once you've crossed the finish line going into the playoffs that I was more so talking about a couple of key guys with key injuries that you should know about and if and you're right if if Lindholm wasn't being very transparent or very honest with himself and the team, then the team can only go off of so much. Now you would imagine that the medical staff is top notch and they can, they don't need Lindholm's honesty. They should be able to figure it out themselves. But if it's a pain threshold thing and they couldn't, and something wasn't appearing on an x-ray and they're, they're relying on him and he's just saying, yeah, no, it's fine. Well, that's on him and shame on him for doing that. Cause you need to, you need to have a, a better long-term and big picture mentality. If you're a top defenseman on your team and you're going into a playoffs with a broken foot, so Lindholm, that situation aside, that's one that, that, that annoys me with the, with the rest. They, everybody involved should have been better with that, including the player. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it does feel like the Bruins – not everybody goes through injuries throughout the course of the regular season. And Jake DeBrusque was out of the lineup for a while uh, from New Year's on. But for the most part, everybody was pretty pretty healthy. And, and then – as you guys mentioned in about late mid late February, yes, they had some injuries that some longer term injuries that kind of coincided with the the impending trade deadline, and that's where th- that's where things got challenging for the Bruins because yes, you had guys out of the lineup, but then you had new guys entering the lineup, and then you guys you got started to get everybody back before the playoffs, and and there was a there was definitely a, a juggling issue with. What, what are the best combinations? And it was kind of the perfect storm. But at the end of the day, you can't you can't sit there and say, oh, well, the, our roster was too good on paper. We couldn't decide what we wanted to do. That's an excuse. And you certainly can't use injuries as an excuse because everybody goes through that. So the only thing I'm just mentioning is if if, you, if one of your top defensemen is has a broken foot, <laughs> like you got to figure that out somewhere, whether it's through the player or the medical staff or – I don't know. Maybe some stranger on the street watching him limp and saying, "Hey, call him front office." I think I think Lindholm might have a broken foot. Somehow you got to figure that out and get that guy some rest because he was not himself in the playoffs. And was it the difference in the series? I mean, yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Hampus Lindholm was not Hampus Lindholm, and and that's kind of the question I want to ask you guys. Based on last year and this year, and I know last year he got concussed came back. I know this year he clearly apparently had a broken foot or a fractured foot, but 
he just isn't the same person in the playoffs that he is in the regular season. And I know he had a couple of deep runs with Anaheim back in like 14, 15. They went to the conference finals at least once with him uh, on that, on that blue line. But do you guys, uh, are you a little skeptical if his game transitions well to, to postseason hockey? It should. I, I, I'm not saying he, his game shouldn't. I'm just asking, is it fair to wonder? Yeah. I mean, it's fair to wonder just because we haven't seen it in Boston yet. You know, we've, we've talked about how he has now has zero points in 11 playoff games uh, with the Bruins, but you know, I do think like the injuries have to be taken into account uh, getting concussed, missing time last year, dealing with this foot injury. Now this year, like again, doesn't totally excuse it, but like it's, it's a factor. And I think it comes back to something we've talked about before, which is like defensemen, tend to get injured more often than forwards, you know, especially around playoff time. Now, obviously Lindholm's injury this year came before the playoffs, but it's, you know, it's why like when, when people talk about like, Oh, well, Grizzlick's not made for the playoffs. And it's like, yeah, okay. He's gotten injured a couple of times as well, but it's like, you look at Lindholm, you look at the way he plays and his body did just everything is size. You're like, he should be made for the playoffs and yet you've still had to deal with injuries now in the playoffs the last two years. So it's just, it's hard. It's hard to stay healthy as a defenseman. And it's why, you know, so much of like whatever team wins the cup, it's often the one who just wins the war of attrition who kind of just happens to luck out and not suffer injuries, especially on the back end. Um, I, you know, I still really like campus Lindholm and I would still feel good about having him in my, lineup playing a lot of minutes heading towards the playoffs next year. Um, because I, I look at these and I'm like, I don't know that like they're injuries that were caused by, Oh, he's just not built for the playoffs. Like last year, it's kind of a bad pet. He maybe should have been more aware of Svechnikov closing in, but it's kind of a bad pass by Carlo behind the net that sort of sets him up in a bad spot this year. The, what initiates the foot injury is just blocking a shot. And it's like, yeah, sorry. Like defensemen have to do that. You know, Derek Forbert suffered two injuries blocking shots this year. It's like, there's only, there's only so much you can do. You can't just like tell your defenseman to go the whole season without blocking shots. Like you're congrats. You're giving up six goals a game, you know, enjoy trying to make the playoffs doing that. Like, so I don't, I don't really know like what you, what you Lindholm can do about it, but um yeah, you know, until you see it, I think it becomes a question. And, you know, now next year you're going to be going on year three and, like, he's locked up for seven more years, uh, you know, after this one. So it's like, yeah, you, you want to see it. Like, you want to see Hamas Lindholm play, like, a Norris Trophy candidate in the playoffs because you've seen in the regular season. Um, but I'm not doing anything differently. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, they got to trade Lindholm because he's struggled in the playoffs two years. Like, now you just you have to just like every other defenseman, you have to hope he's going to be healthy come this time next year. And um, you know, unfortunately, there's op lots of opportunities for for him to not be healthy. But you kind of just have to cross your fingers. I, I think theoretically he should be the same in the postseason performance wise as he was in the regular season. No, no reason to think that the pressure should be able to get to him the way that it kind of looked like it did this series. He if you think about it, what his strengths are, obviously, like you said, Brian is skating, but he also is just a smart hockey player. So some of the mistakes he was making um, 
were not characteristic of him through the regular season. Um, so yeah, in theory, he shouldn't have any issue transitioning his game to the playoffs. Um, smart defenseman, quick defenseman can affect series. Look at Brandon Montour. Um, so he the injuries uh, turns out two playoffs in a row have slowed him down to the point where he was not 100% himself, and you could tell. I would say, in addition to, like when you say when you say the the team that often wins the cup is one who wins the war of attrition. I I agree with that, but the team that wins the cup, they're they're all playing hurt too. So it's it's not about avoiding injury. It's about you're going to be injured. I guarantee you if 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 the Panthers wouldn't have stayed in the cup this year, you'll probably find out that Brandon Montour is playing with a separated shoulder or, you know, a sprained something, like a sprained wrist. Or so, there's going to be something that comes out and you're going to sit there and say, "Oh wow, I can't believe he played that well playing with playing through that injury." Like it's 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 less about avoiding getting hurt and more about maintaining a a, a, a higher floor for your, for your standards when you are hurt. And I know that varies injury to injury. Obviously it's going to affect different parts of your game, depending on what your injury is. But I guarantee you guys, the, the Bruins are never going to win a Stanley cup without some of their top players b- being hurt and doing so. I, I, it's just, it's just the reality of, of the sport. So it, it it's, it makes me, it makes me question if I just don't want, I just don't want the Bruins to be one of those teams where it's like, they're they're fragile to or to to the to the point where if if something's lingering or hurting them that's it they can't they can't be relatively themselves and i know that's like really unfair for me to say and kind of like inhumane for me to expect of people but it's the sport that they play and, and their opponents are are faced with the same obstacles too and like i said the four teams remaining in vegas carolina dallas and florida there's, you know, there's stuff going on in those locker rooms and, and they're still performing at a, at a level to be where they are. And so, yeah, it, it, it is, it is, it is a little unfair to sit there and say tough shit, play through it. But if you want to win a Stanley cup, tough shit, play through it and, and, or not play through it, but you got to play through it and be, be an impact, the impact player that to an extent that you, that the team relied on you to be. And that's just the nature of, of, of a results driven business. Yeah, like in some ways, it's it's almost like the the nagging injuries are almost worse than the ones that like straight up force guys out of the lineup because it's like then it eliminates any question where it's like, all right, Bergeron and Krejci are out, like that's it, they're, they're not playing, they didn't even make the trip, and so here's the lineup, like you guys got to step up, and then it's like when Bergeron when Bergeron comes back, there's the question of like, okay, well, how much can he handle? You know, how, what percentage of himself is he like? Same with Lindholm now that we know he's, he was playing through this. And Allmark, like, same, right? Like, if Allmark, if game five or six comes and Allmark is so injured that he just can't play, it's like, then you don't have goaltending questions. Then Jeremy Swayman just goes in and, and mm-hmm. he has to step up. But because Allmark is good enough to play and he hasn't been ruled out, it's like, okay, now you have to do the, all right, well, he can play, but at what percentage and can he make all the movements he has to make? And, you know, not trying to make excuse excuses. Like you're, you're right, Brian, if, if you're in the lineup, you got to play like period. Like any hockey player will tell you that if, if you're in the lineup, you're expected to perform. No one's gonna, no one's gonna feel sorry because 
you find out after, oh, you know, he was only 65%. Like, well, if you, if you can't do the job well enough, then you shouldn't be in. So, um, yeah, like it's, it's absolutely fair. Um, but it, it is tough. Like when you get those, those nagging ones where guys are clearly less than a hundred percent and you're still trying to figure out if they can handle, you know, the minutes that they usually handle and, and all that. So, um, yep. Every, everything deals with it. It doesn't ultimately the Bruins are still up three to one and blew the lead and guys being banged up. Doesn't, doesn't excuse that. Like they, that's still a series they should have won period at the end of the day. So, um, but yeah, you know, it, on Lindholm in particular, like it does help explain some of his play and yes, you wish they'd caught it earlier and knew exactly what they were dealing with because they probably could have taken a better, smarter approach. Can this um, Swedish reporter also find out what happened to Allmark? Can we get him on the case? Yeah. Him or her on the case uh, to cracking the injury, like an injury that we we know exists. We just don't know what it is quite yet and how bad it, but, and the thing about the nagging injuries too, is when it's, when it's that, or when it, when it's more defined, you take the decision out of the player's hand to decide whether or not he's good enough to go. And a a lot of these guys were saying they were good and they weren't. Um, So that, that whole decision-making process looks a lot differently. If the, hairline fracture shows up on the x-ray or if whatever was bothering Allmark uh, had a more of a definitive um, display that you could go, okay, well, this needs to look better than it does right now for you to go in or what, what have you. Um, I think that the play, they allowed the Bruins allowed their players to make those decisions on their, not necessarily hundred percent on their own, but to, to weigh in heavily in those decisions and, they didn't work out. No, they allowed the inmates to run the asylum and you can't have that. Like the players have to play coaches, coach, medical staff. You have, you have to be able to make tough decisions when it just might be best for the team. Now, obviously the biggest one would be Bergeron coming back into the series after game four. Like that was the biggest personnel decision where it was like the coach listening to the player. And I don't think there's a person in Boston in the moment, fan, coach, player, ownership management or otherwise that would have said Bergie, you're good to play ah sorry let's rest up the theory made sense in theory but i think montgomery was not alone in 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 being like okay Bergie, come here come here get back in the lineup like i think that that one makes sense but just in just in general yeah the best games they played were games three and four bar none and and the lineup was I mean, you were down your quote unquote top two centers, like everybody had to step up and fill in. And then those are perfect examples of, yeah, I mean, like you don't have your ideal lineup out there, but you can still, you can still find ways to win and, and, and play the right way. And, and so maybe lessons learned there too. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know if the Bruins are going to have that issue next year where they're going to have a, an all-star type roster going into a playoffs. Or <laughs> not, maybe not even the, Two no. same goalies. Well, at least one of them, yeah. 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 Or or a forty point cushion where they can afford yeah. to rest, guys. Yeah. Like Yeah. No, so yeah, lessons learned all the way around. I mean, yeah, so the Lindholm the in typical skate pod fashion, we we decided to 
to, we didn't even, we, we honestly waited mid, it was midweek. It's not like we like, you know, it's not like it broke on Monday or something like that. We recorded Sunday. Like we made it, we waited until half of the week and banged out a couple episodes. But of course, the second we, we, we finished up, then the Lindholm news kind of broke. So we had to come back on and, and cover that. And as we mentioned, it, it explains a few things, but it, it excuses absolutely nothing on our end here. Um, was there any other final thoughts you guys had on, on this story? If not, we can probably j- just move on to the rest of the episode. No, we, we already ran much longer than I was anticipating. So, Yeah, that's true. Well, you know us. We can't stop talking once we, start, once we get going. So, all right. Yeah, well, let's just move on to the rest of the episode then. Bridget and Scott, we just wrapped up a, a mailbag episode, pretty much putting last season to bed at this point, right? So now it's time to... Now it's time to move on, start looking looking ahead to next season, prepare ourselves for breaking our hearts again next year. So let's let's start looking at looking at the future here, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Uh where do you want to start? You want to start with like free agents? Yeah, because that's what we teased. Like I at some point during last episode, I stopped Brian at like the hour mark and was like, we can wait to talk about this next episode. Um <laughs> because I thought we had already gone long. So yeah, I, I it was talking about free agents, uh, what are gonna happen with the Bruins free agents, maybe potential free agents they might be looking for, and possible trades that could solve some of their their cap issues, kind of what we want to focus on here, right, guys? Yeah, wanna? Here's an idea. I'm just gonna run through free agents. Let's say if we think they're back or gone, I'm just okay. gonna read off cap friendly from from top to bottom. Nick okay. Felina. Gone. Uh, I want I'm gonna say here for like a very team friendly deal. Nah, I'm saying gone. You saying gone? Uh, Patrice Bergeron. Back. Brian, you're saying back? Yeah, I don't think he's done. I I just feel like I I'll say Krejci. I know we haven't got to Krejci yet. Krejci gone. I think Krejci gone. Bergeron, I really have no idea. I I I feel like he wants to come back, but he's also worried about disappointing the team and whether let, or not. Let he him make a take- prediction. <laughs> Well, but okay. So, is this podcast going to be three seconds? We're just going to say yes and no. No, we, we can we can expand <laughs> on it all. We can expand on it all after. But I feel like just to set a base of like okay, what, all right, what we're all right. We'll do the short version now. Uh, if you're going to make me choose, I'm going to say here. All right, fine. I'll be different and say gone. I think I, I feel like it is close to fifty fifty. But I'm yeah. I, as of right now, I'm still leaning towards he retires. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. Here. I'm going to say here. I think they find a way. I think they want him. I think they want him back pretty bad. I think they're willing to get rid of pretty much everything, including current roster players that they might try to trade to keep him. Mm -hmm. Tomas Nosek. Gone. Here. Gone. Garnet Hathaway. Gone. Gone. Yep. Uh, Trent Frederick, restricted free agent. Well, he's going to be here. He doesn't have an option, really. <laughs> yeah, I'll say here, but I wouldn't be surprised if they like tried to... Yeah, here, here. Yeah, I'll say here, too. Um, David Krejci, we already... Bridget, yeah. we already know, says gone. Yeah, I, I think he's done. Same. I think he, he retires. Uh, all right. By Let's the see. way, he said that the timeline was going to be in the first few weeks. So that could yeah, be some news that we get soon. 
Well, and also what's interesting though is the last couple years, some of these guys, especially Berger and Krejci, have made decisions that haven't gone public when they've made them. So it's possible that Krejci has already made a decision and it's just not public yet. Um, but yeah, you're right. He did say he planned on taking only like a couple weeks and it's mm-hmm. been a couple weeks since breakup day. So, um, all right. On defense, Dmitry Orlov. Gone. I think he's gone. Yeah, I agree. Connor Clifton. Gone. 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 Uh, Jeremy Swayman, restricted free agent. Obviously here. Here. Yep, agreed. Uh, da, 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 da. Who else? Uh, I mean, I guess technically he was on the books this year. Chris Wagner, I think, probably gone. Um, I don't know why he didn't pop up on Cap Friendly, but uh, Jacob Lauko is a restricted free agent as well. I think they'll find a way to keep him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he... he... What can yeah? I'm just trying to think of how he would want that contract to go. I would I would assume that that would be someone they could cap wise keep. So and, okay, and yeah. I'm re- I'm realizing that the reason he didn't pop up in cap friendly is because the Bruins did send him down to Providence to close out their playoff run. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that I guess that like sets the base. Um, I mean, so- basically, basically for any player who's not considering retirement of those players that we know are not retiring. We we'll, I think the majority rule is we think that Bertuzzi, Lauco and Frederick, is that it? Everybody else would just like, they're going to clean house. Like I know we differed a little bit. I know Bridget had a couple of different opinions, but I think the consensus though, amongst the three of us is that they're cleaning house and they might try to prioritize Bertuzzi and, and go from there. Yeah. Mostly because they have to, because they just don't have the cap space. They have well, under $5 million to work with. Like, so as much as, yeah, it would be nice to keep, you know, a Felino and or Nosek, like, they can't afford to spend on depth. So, like, unless those guys are coming back super, super cheap, yeah, I, I just don't see, how like, how that can possibly so, work. Notice that I differed with you. I did differ with you guys on three. And the reason why I differ about Bertuzzi isn't because he's not a good fit, isn't because they don't want him. I think he's going to get more money elsewhere. I don't, I think that, he's going to be getting offers that are not in the Bruins ballpark um, to where it doesn't make sense for, it would hurt the rest of the roster. It would cause too many moves to need to be made or too many holes um, of other guys that you'd have to trade or let go uh, in order to get him under contract and fit him on the team. And I think they should try to, I, I, I'm all for them trying to get him to come back. Um, I just feel that, as a free agent, there's so much interest in, in him and a player like him that it – I just have a feeling that that the Bruins – it's out of the Bruins' control, right? He goes where he wants to go, and that's why I say he's not back. Not that I don't want him back. Not that he wouldn't be great if you could keep him. Um, but I also said I think Felino could come back and no sick because um, – it depends what no six contract is. These are two guys you could probably get pretty cheaply. If Bergeron's gone, you don't want to lose another center. So you probably want to keep no sick. Um, and then you'll have to move Zaka up and maybe Frederick to center. You're, you're having center issues again. 
Um, and it's just exacerbated if you lose Nosek. And he has said he wants to stay in Boston. Um, he likes playing with the other Czech players on this team. He seems like he's very happy here. Folino, another guy who said he wants to do everything to stay in Boston. So these are guys who have voiced that this is their first priority. Um, and Folino seems like a team-friendly deal could be could be found with him. And they really, really value Nosek, I think, more than we even kind of wrap our heads around. So that's I why I differed with you guys on those. I think they value Nosek in a situation like last year where they're going for the Stanley Cup. But I think that it's more for somebody like Nosek and Felino, it's it's great if those guys were to come back on friendly deals, right? So that they can fit them in the books appropriately. But I think the Bruins brass right now, and I think they kind of mentioned this in the in the end of season press conference, I think that they're they want to prioritize System, uh, systemic players into that bottom six. I think that their I think that their values, especially if Bergeron goes, I don't think they're interested in keeping Nosek to kind of keep their fourth line center stable. Like I think they'd rather prioritize implementing and infusing some of the guys in their own system to see what they have in that bottom. I think especially if Bergeron goes next year and you're looking at like a Zaka coil one two center, I think the Bruins have to be pretty realistic with themselves about what their chances are to go deep. And I, I just, I just think that their priorities are going to change. So if you're a Stanley cup contender, yes. But if you're admitting that you're going to start to maybe try to focus on bringing up newer, newer talent and just see what you have in the system. That's why I think that they might, they might just let that bottom six cleanse out into free agency. And, and, you know, as far as Tyler Bertuzzi goes, free agency is in July. Let's see what happens around the draft if the Bruins were able to trade away some roster players like a Taylor Hall potentially and and clear up that space. Because I'll tell you this, I I fully expect the Bruins to cleanse the the free agent class and, and, and allow those guys to walk for the most part. Outside of Pasternak and like McAvoy, like there's there's really nobody on the Bruins roster that I'd be like, no, 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 don't trade them. Like I I I, I value Bertuzzi on this team going forward more than any other forward besides Pasternak. So. And I think that that would, that would entice him too. If the Bruins can get that cap space before free agency to offer him what other teams can offer him and he can play next to Pasternak, I think that would be pretty enticing for him. Yeah, I would put Pavel Zak in that conversation as well, mostly just because of position, just because he he's at least one of two top two centers you need. Um, Agreed. Yeah, so at, on Felino and Nozick, like I also think there's – there, there's a difference in those two guys' situations as well. Like, I could, especially if Bergeron does come back for another year, I could see Felino saying, you know what? I'll come back for less than a million dollars. Like, this is where I want to finish out my career. He's 35, going on 36 early next season. Like, you know, he might not be chasing money. Like, I could absolutely see him just saying, this is a situation I like. You know, I'm willing to take whatever they can give me to to see it through and finish out finish out here. Tomas Nosek's 30 years old. He, you know, turns 31 just before next season starts. Like he's not at that point in his career where it's, yeah, you know what, this is where I want to, you know, finish out my career and I'll just take whatever. Like he can it's not gonna be a ton of money, but like is Nosek making, you know, one and a half or two million in free agency off the table? Absolutely not. Like someone might offer that. He he does bring value. And I think other teams see that. So, you know, I and I just don't think the Bruins are in a position where they can spend a million and a half to two million on a fourth liner. Like that's 
that's a luxury you have when when you have cap space and you're really trying to contend and you want to make sure that you have those veterans down there. But you know, they have to hit a at least to some extent a reset button. So I don't think they're going to be able to like spend money like that on a fourth line center as as much as you like him and as valuable as he is in certain situations, D zone stuff, penalty kill, all that. Like at some point you got to give, you know, some of your younger guys a shot, whether it's Trent Frederick shifting to potentially a fourth line center. Although I kind of see him staying on the wing or, um, you know, maybe third line center if Coyle has to move up, but you know, a Mark McLaughlin or a Johnny Beecher or, even like a Georgie Merkulov, like if you're not, if you're not going to be like a true Stanley Cup contender next year, and you're willing to accept, you know, a little bit of a retool on the fly, and you know, a little bit of a step back, like I'm, I'd be totally cool with the fourth line being more offensive. Like there, there's nothing in the NHL bylaws that says your fourth line has to start eighty percent of their shifts in the defensive zone and get all the tough D, D zone matchups, like. Your fourth line can be more offensive. It can be younger. It can have, you know, a kind of a more offensive-minded center like Georgie Merkulov. Like, again, especially if you're not going, like, all, all in on, like, hey, this is a cup team and we can't screw around with our fourth line. Like, now, if you're – if you understand that you're going to take a little bit of a step back, you can do something like that. And it can be very beneficial for that player. So um, – and I – I guess like a developing take of mine is I am increasingly willing to accept that kind of off season and that kind of approach towards the next season where like they should still be a playoff team. They should still be good. I'm not saying blow it up, sell off everything. Like I think that would be insane, but there's going to be a step back no matter what. And I'm willing to take a little bit more of an approach of like, give some guys a chance, see how you do the first half of next year. And then if you if you're in a good spot and you have to address some stuff around the trade deadline, maybe shore up that bottom six or whatever it might be. Like I'm okay with that approach, but like I don't need I don't need the Bruins to like find a way to have like a totally complete roster like they did this year going into the season where it's like 14, you know, forwards under NHL contracts again or something like that. Like I'm okay with having some openings and some question marks and giving some guys a shot and, and, and see how it goes. And to, so just to, I have thoughts on Bertuzzi too, but as it pertains to the fourth line to just to dip in for a second to a mailbag question that we didn't get to. Um, I made this whole agree or disagree segment uh, section, by the way, if anyone wants to throw this into one of our comments, if any of our listeners um, want to just give us an agree or disagree and this one is agree or disagree. Get rid of the entire fourth line. Agree. So Scott, you kind of yeah. already answered. Yeah, I think I think I agree because well, one, I think they kind of have to. Again, like you have to let some players walk that they're not all coming back. So yeah, I do. You know, it's not that I want to get rid of all those guys. Like if I could keep them, I would. But um. I think giving some younger guys a shot is probably better in the long run than trying to like lock up fourth line veterans for another year or two. 
So, well, by the way, that would mean Felenic, Nosek, Hathaway. But we haven't talked about what is Greer's contract. Um, he's, and we he's got another year, so he's so, back unless they move him. No, yeah, I would say no need to touch Greer. But um, of the free agents, you're saying let them let those three walk, um, Lauko and Greer question marks whether or not those guys um could be your your fourth liners next year and and one other thing too i just want to mention is like after a year like this where you literally had the greatest regular season objectively in in the league's history over 100 years and and you go down in the first round all these expectations and literally the worst case scenario happened not only did you lose in the first round you lost after being up three to one you lost after having a lead in game seven with 50 seconds left like there's just going into next year. It's just, it, there's not a lot, to, even if they have a great year, there's not a lot to be excited about because it's just like, I just need to see them win in the playoffs again. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but I find, I find excitement and something to look forward to next year in trying to watch some younger players, see if, see what they have in the system and develop. I, I, I the hockey nerd in me kind of enjoys watching that. So I find some like regular season stimulation and seeing what some of these younger players have and, that's why I kind of am with you, Scott, and I, I welcome not only doing the fiscally responsible thing, which is allowing these players to walk because you don't have the cap space, but I just from a from a development standpoint, I want to see what some of these younger players can do at this level, and I I, I think that'll be fun to watch. And I I think that fourth lines you can there's not you're not gonna your team's not gonna ride or die with the fourth line, especially in the regular season. Like you can you can insert some young players and like they can provide some pop and. They might not. They might have to work on consistency and some learning curves, but I just think that they can still be a playoff team by giving a fourth, you know, a fourth line. A, and if that's Greer and Loco as well, like that's that's great. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think you need Nosek, Felino, and Hathaway to make this a playoff team next year. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. Like the Panthers are in the conference finals with a basically useless fourth line. Like their fourth line is Zach Dalby, Eric Stahl, and Colin White. And those three guys have done nothing in the playoffs other than get caved in and give up goals. Like they've been bad. Like their analytics, everything is like awful. And yet like, like they play five minutes a game. So it's like, who cares? Like whatever. Yeah. They don't have a complete roster. They just ride the top three lines. Didn't the um, NHL only have three lines up until like 1990? Yeah. Yeah. Like basically. Um, yeah. So another thing on like the young players and being, you know, that being more exciting to watch, you know, give you like something to get excited about. I would also say like, it can also be beneficial for the team because if you, if you mostly run back like the same roster or at least like a roster full of guys who were here last year, what is that team's motivation to play well in the regular season? Like what, what gets them going in October, November, December? They, they just had the best regular season in history and it meant nothing in the end. Like, that that's a team that I could see getting off to a slow start, having a hangover that lasts most of the year, and like maybe ending up in a position where they're fighting for a playoff spot. I think if you get some young guys in there, like those guys don't care about how meaningless last regular season was. Those guys are trying to prove they belong in the NHL. So I think that can inject some life into a team too, and and some energy that you know some of the veterans might be lacking out of the gate next year because it's you know it's going to be hard to turn the page on on how the season ended and those young guys can i think on the ice help do that just by 
bringing some energy and kind of just, you know, some fresh blood. One, one thing people might say in response to that, Scott, though, is, well, that's what happened to Florida this year. They got off to a slow start after a, after a lull and they fought for their playoff lives and here they are in the conference finals. But I would say the big caveat there is that the Bruins will have the cap space to, to, um, to, to run it back again. And also Boston's regular season this year was historic. And Florida did win a round last year. People forget they got, they lost in the second round to Tampa Boston lost in the first round. So, but yes, sorry to kind of go off the rails there, but just another, like it, 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 that's just me illustrating even more. So like why they should just go with, you know, just naturally go with some turnover here. Yeah. I, I also don't think there's going to be a Matthew Kachuk to trade for this off season, yeah. but who knows? We'll, we'll see. I don't know if you could, you know, re-sign Bertuzzi. You're talking about like, obviously not Matt Kachuk, but we're talking about, you know, some of those pain in the ass, high skilled players. Um, two guys that were, you know, both getting after it in the first round. But um, in, in terms of bringing up younger guys, it's been a while since the Bruins have been able to try. I mean, this season there wasn't even really experimenting with, can this guy come up and give us minutes when we need to, besides with Lauko. Um, it's been a while. I mean, at times in previous seasons, we'd seen Sonika come up and down and, um mclaughlin come up and down and and them testing out here and there um hey pieces. hey jack stanika got his shot this year he played what, one or two Stanika games before they traded him gonski yeah that was dramatic but um but anyway <laughs> um very little chance to see the the, the next crop um and just it must be frustrating because those guys in providence have as well as they've been doing, they really have had no hole to try to fill on the Bruins. Um, so I, I, at some point here over the next few seasons, starting this this upcoming season, there's going to be spots up for grabs for guys to to fight for. I think that's what you were saying, Scott, and the motivation coming from a personal level for some of those guys to prove themselves and lift their play in order to prove that they should be on an NHL roster. But the flip side to that is if, especially in the center position, if we're talking about elevating a center to a fourth line center role, how ready are some of their centers in Providence? And we're going to talk to Mark Dever hopefully next week and, and ask him that very question um, because Beecher is a center prospect that they have. McLaughlin can play center, can play wing. Um, I believe even Steen is listed as a center. Uh, they they have some center prospects that did not get a look in the NHL last season at all. So um, to to go from having a guy that played pretty much every game for you as a fourth line center to not really like to to trying to fill that with someone that you're not even sure can play ten NHL games in a row uh, because they haven't done it yet is going to be hard. Yeah, but again, like I I want to see those guys get a chance and, and get a look and have an opportunity to battle because like I said, like I, I don't need their opening night roster to be a, a Stanley cup roster. Like I'm, I'm okay with some growing pains next season and letting some guys figure things out, you know, get an opportunity, try to find their way and then reassess where you are, like in the second half leading up to the trade deadline. So they have to get younger at some point, And I do feel like, you know, this is a now I guess it does change. Like if Bergeron comes back and 
we're all kind of assuming Krejci's not, but obviously, you know, he hasn't made a decision yet. But if Bergeron comes back, then the expectation should still be to try to compete for a cup. So that would change things a little bit. But even still, like I, to to the point that me and Brian made about like, you know, fourth lines don't have to be perfect. You know, you can take some chances there. Like I would still be okay with doing that. Like even, even if Bergeron's back, I'm still okay with giving some young guys a, a chance on the fourth line, giving them some, some leash, letting them make mistakes and then, you know, see how it goes for a couple months. And they have to, especially if Bergeron comes back, because they'll have to pay him. Like, they don't have yeah. the cap space, so they have to do that. I, I Just this thought just popped into my head. But do you think there's any chance that Sweeney goes to Bergeron or Krejci and says we don't, like, we would let, we, we decided that we're going to move on from you? No. Not even Krejci? Nope. Okay. I think if, if, if they want to come back and now what I would say is assuming that they want to come back and are willing to do it for cheap again, I think Which they would, I think if they want to come back, you know, that that's their, their decision. And they're probably, you're probably looking at similar, a similar situation. Maybe Bergeron even takes less um, than he did last year, but just health wise, say Don Sweeney doesn't think Krejci has it anymore. I, I I think that specifically to your question, Bridget, I don't think he would ever say it to Krejci. Though I will say, I think secretly they 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 kind of are hoping that Krejci just retires because I I think he would help them for sure. But I I don't I, I kind of think they want to see. I, I think they they want to pass that those reins to Zaka. But at the yeah. same time, to he's still as long as he's healthy. And you can get them for a million dollars. That you know, that solves some cap issues. Um, that gives you that gives you a more Stanley Cup contending team, playoff contending team. Um, maybe with fewer growing pains because you get a little bit more time to to make some other decisions. But um, so I, to answer my own question, I don't think they're going to do that to either of those guys. I don't think they're going to push them out. But um, just a thought. And, and you know what? It wouldn't have crossed my mind except for how the injuries affected the playoffs, um, which they didn't really seem to affect the entirety of the season. And if you had asked me throughout the rest of the season, did I think they were both coming back? I would have said, I, yeah, I don't see why they couldn't come back. And now all of a sudden it's not really, you know, it's more complicated because of the fatigue factor um at their age i mean Krejci's already retired once <laughs> kind of sort of um so and he seemed pretty pretty down when we talked to him uh, for exit interviews and we mentioned this in a previous episode family factors in for both of these guys but Krejci was not living with his family and he said that this was one of his favorite seasons and one of his least favorite seasons because of the time spent away from his family. So um, I, I, that's why I really feel like he's not coming back. I don't even, I, I think that family is probably the top factor health, maybe the second. Um, that's not an ideal situation. I, I wouldn't want to live that far away either um, from, you know, kind of young kids and his wife. And so um, just yeah. to answer my own question. If Krejci wants to come back, I, I think he's back. I almost think if Krejci were going to come back, 
based on his comments, like I think his family would have to be up here next season. Like it would have to be mm-hmm. a family decision where they decide, okay, like we're all moving back to Boston for the season. Um, because yeah, you definitely got the impression that like he, he doesn't want to do that again, where, you know, yeah. they're only coming up for a few games here and there, but otherwise they're down in South Carolina. Like he even said, he was like, you know, if things weren't, things weren't going well, like I might've just left mid season. And so, yeah, that, that clearly, kind of shocked me that he, he was willing to to say that. Yeah. So like, he clearly like really didn't like that situation and obviously missed being away from his family. So um, it would have to be either like they're all in as a family and everyone's up in Boston for the season. Or what I think is more likely is he just says, you know what? I gave it a shot. We had a great roster. We didn't get it done, and you know now I'm now I'm off to the, into the sunset. So we covered we covered free agency. I think naturally the next thing to go over would be: Do you guys have any predictions for? And I know it's tough. It's tough because we don't know who's coming back, especially the two guys you were just talking about in Bergeron and Krejci. But do you feel? Do you have any any predictions about the Bruins trying to trade and move some roster players that are under contract this this summer? So I have three that I think are, I I could see any or all of them getting traded. And one we touched on a little bit, which is Taylor Hall. um, Because I do think they, not only do I think they'd rather have Bertuzzi because I think they probably like his style of play a little bit more, but I also think his timeline lines up more with if they are going to have to do a little bit of a retool, Taylor Hall's in his thirties and has two years left on his contract that doesn't line up like he's his contract's going to be up by the time that you're, you know, realistically, like by the time you're ready to contend again, um, Bertuzzi, you can sign longer term. He's still in his twenties. You'll have him through his prime. He's with you when you're ready to really make a run again. Um, so that's one, two, Matt Grizzlick, because I think they want to, I think they have to try to trade someone off the defense I think he probably has the most value. And at some point, like you need to either decide whether you're in or out on Grizzly. Like every year they keep kind of doing the song and dance where it's like, he has a really good regular season, but then he struggles in the playoffs. They cut his minutes, they bench him. And it's like, all right, like either he's a regular defenseman for you and you believe in him and he's in your lineup because like, you're not going to be able to go find the Dimitri Orlov every year to upgrade over him. Or, you're out and Hey, he does have really good regular seasons and we like his chemistry with McAvoy, but you know what? We're not, we don't believe in him in the playoffs anymore. So we're moving on. So like, I could definitely see Grizzly getting traded and the third, I we've touched on it. I think it's very realistic possibility is trading one of the goalies and specifically Lena cell Mark because Swayman's younger. I think you commit to him longer term Allmark has two years left. And again, to the idea that like this ha- might be a little bit of a mid 2010s retool type thing. Um, you know, two more years of Allmark would be great. Keep the standing together for two more years. But I think his, his even with the playoff struggles, his value is never going to be higher. And I think if you can get something, whether it's draft picks, maybe get back into the first round, whether it's to help address another position maybe try to get your, your center. Like 
whatever it might be, you know, another defenseman, if you're trading away Grizzlick, like I think all marks should have real value. So I can, I think they should explore that. And I definitely could actually see something happening. Yeah. So you're saying we're never going to see the Hall coil Bertuzzi line is what you're saying. <laughs> nope. It's not going to be he's next also, year. It wasn't this year. It's not going to be next year. He's uh, also <laughs> saying no more, no more goalie hugs. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I had gotten a question actually was, should they retire the goalie hugs? You know, even if they're both back, like, should, should that be done? Like, is that, is that a this year thing? Is that... Everything runs its course eventually. And, yeah. yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, want, I wanted to ask Razor that. Cause I don't think Razor likes, he likes goalie competition. Um, and he also, back when he played, there was a lot less of the, things that happened around the game, like being happy. Everybody was a lot more serious. Um, anyway, so to to talk about Bertuzzi, how long would you think he's looking for this contract? Because you mentioned he's 28, going to turn 29 in February. Um, he looking for six years or less or more? Yeah. Because I was going to say five or six. Because if you think about it, five would bring him to – He'd be 33. At that point in time, what kind of contract are you going to be asking for? Because we're talking about maybe two two year deal after that, or I'm not sure what he'd be looking for in free agency at the age of 33. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like he wants it longer, and maybe that's another reason why the Bruins might not be able to bring him in. I. Uh, uh, money what I don't I don't know um I still like the idea of bringing him back uh but for some reason I just get the sense that he's going to take a different offer first of all I mean I think he likes Boston but who knows maybe there's always there's a place that he's always wanted to play and he can go there and choose there um what have you but I want to I don't think I need to touch on the Taylor Hall part of it I think Scott kind of covered that pretty well Grizzlick, I personally like Grizzlick um, and the versatility he can bring. And, you know, no Orlov, Clifton's gone. Um, I don't know. I've I've always kind of thought that the Grizzlick hatred was a little bit overblown. And he's small, yes, um, but I think he's a smart hockey player. Uh, depends what you can get in return for him, but I, I think he's valuable to the team. So um, I'm actually more interested in the Olmark trade because we talked about having this goalie tandem as a huge luxury, right? And one of the reasons why it seemed like they should be able to make such a deep playoff run because not, you know, no team had really seen that kind of a goalie tandem um, in a while. And it, it was just one of the best, but didn't turn out to matter if you're not going to use both your goalies. Um, so clearly it, it helped them throughout the regular season. But as we see, what the hell does that mean? Nothing. Uh, you know, the record, whatever, didn't get them any further in the playoffs to have this great goalie tandem. So if you can find a way to move Allmark with his high value, because as we know, goalies value fluctuates a lot. Uh, they could have a great season next year. Could be the worst goal in the league. Uh, it, it, it changes. Um, and right now his value is probably as high as, as it could be. Um, it's hard to imagine him having a better season than this season, 
disregard, you know, the issues in the playoffs. But I think I'm very interested in what you could get back for Allmark. And I also think that Swayman is a good enough goalie that you would you be better with a goalie tandem? Yes. Would you still make the playoffs with just Swayman? Um, probably. I, I think that he gives you a good enough chance to to do it. I I don't I would be interested in training him before everybody else. And I gotta pull up his cap hit, but he's and- Go ahead, Scott. Well, and and it's not just Swayman because Brandon Bussey had a great season in the AHL and might not have a whole lot left to prove or learn down there. So, you know, yeah, you never really know until a guy gets in the NHL. But, you know, I could absolutely see like a Swayman gets 50 starts, you know, Bussey 30 or something like that kind of split. And, you know, maybe Bussy's ready or, or if you don't think he is like, you can go sign some cheap veteran backup who can start 25 to 30 games. Yeah. I, I see a lot of upside in, in that as the trade. Um, and you know what? In, I'll let Brian answer soon. <laughs> I promise Brian. And I can almost feel, I mean, I can feel the attitude towards Allmark has really shifted um, from the regular season to the postseason to after. And I feel like he's going to be miserable here. I feel like he has kind of become a punching bag the way that Tuca had at times. Um, and goalies in this town tend to become punching bags if, if they have stuff like what Allmark did with, you know, the, the horrible turnover that game five, which we've gone over, but um, I feel like, fans would not be upset to see him get traded either. No, I, I think they'd be happy because it's smart business. I mean, it's not like you have Lena Solmark as your goalie and then like a 37-year-old Marty Turco as a backup. Like you have Jeremy Swayman, who's 23, 24 years old, and he's a number one goaltender in the league. And you have Lena Solmark, who's going to be walking across the stage in Las Vegas in about a month, winning the Vesna trophy. So to all the points you guys made, no, he's not going to have a season like he had last regular season. He that's the best regular season he's ever going to have in his entire life. It, because it was insane. And when you have a Vesna trophy and you have a guy that you're willing to move that guy, teams are, teams are going to be a little bit weary about, okay, he wasn't great in the regular in the postseason, but they're probably going to be like, that's fine. We need a guy that can get us to the, to the postseason in general. So, and I, I, I do think the people know he was probably ailing, but, sell sell high on him absolutely and especially because you have swayman and uh brandon bus like you guys mentioned so as far as taylor hall goes yep i'm good with him going um because i do think it'd be nice to for the bruins to try to get some some draft collateral if they could or if not a an adequate roster play in return or some sort of package and matt grizzlick again it's he's 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 probably of the of the defense and they're willing to trade i think I mean, unless they're, I don't think they're willing to trade Carlo. So I think of the defense that they're willing to trade, I think Mac Grizzly gives you the most value in return. And again, you have a, whether it's in October or next April or the year after, you have Mason Lorite, who's going to be in his mid 20s before you know it, who's like, whatever he is, 6 1. He's a left shot D man, projected top four left, left shot defenseman. So try not to look with the, the October glasses and try to look a little bit further down the line. I just think as, as great as Grizzly is, it's, he's not, he's not the future of the organization. Like it's, 
you know, if he can get value for him again, because the Bruins have been selling all their, their draft collateral the last couple of these seasons. So do what you can. Don't the Bruins have Langenbrunner's son in the system? Uh, he's huge. Yeah. Plays for Quinnipiac. I believe he's a Bruins pick. I don't know if he'll ever make the pros, but this guy is massive. And he at, uh, wasn't he at Harvard or is he at not? Uh, is he at Harvard? He's, yeah. he's in the ECAC. Um, he, he's massive, but he was not a high draft pick. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know what, if any NHL future he has, I think he's a very much a longer term project, if anything. Yes. Uh, yeah. Longer term for sure. He's, he's young still. Um, but anyhow, that was just a thought that popped into my head when you're talking about big defensemen um, in the system. I I want to think about the Olmark thing this way. Who would you be doing business with in that kind of a trade? Um, what teams would be willing to dole out what the Bruins would want in return for a goalie? Like, who needs a goalie that bad? And you know, maybe that's their last missing piece. And what would they be willing? Because if they're a Stanley Cup contending team, like they're not going to give the Bruins what they want in return. That even if they need a goalie, I, I don't. So that kind of leaves you with the middle of the pack teams, don't you think? And maybe potentially teams on the upswing that were lower in the standings this year. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say like, well, one. The Kings, if they don't bring back Eunice Corposalo, are right back to looking for a goalie again. Um, I mean, there's a there's a few like Edmonton, always looking for goalie. I still don't think they have. You know, Stuart Skinner was good at times, but didn't hold up in the playoffs. Linus Allmark for Connor McDavid. There we go. One on one trade. <laughs> um, uh, you know Pittsburgh. Like if Pittsburgh's trying to make another run, you know, and trying to regroup quickly. Like they obviously need a goalie Montreal. Yeah. If I don't, I feel like they, they're probably not close enough though. Like they might want to be go younger. I, I mean, <laughs> this just popped up. But like, I don't even know if they'd be interested, but like back to Buffalo, like that's, although I guess they just got Devin Levi. So they're probably all set. Yeah. No, but, I don't think he's going back to um, Buffalo. Um, all year they needed a goalie. They finally found one, but but too late. Um, yeah, because he was, you know, they would have loved for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, even like like a team early. like I don't, I don't. The Bruins would probably not want to trade him in the division, but like an up and coming team like Ottawa, or Detroit, where you know their goalie situation isn't set. I'm, I'm sure there's others that like I'm not thinking of immediately, but you know, I don't know how sold Seattle is on Philip Grubauer. He had some really good games in the playoffs, but it struggled most of the season. Like. You can definitely poke around. Winnipeg might be losing Connor Hellebuck, so they might be looking for for you know a replacement. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be you know is Colorado sold on Yergiev as their long term solution and goal. Like it is, so, it someone's always like looking for a lot of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. All right. Were there any other topics you guys wanted to discuss before we wrap this up? Uh, just on Taylor Hall, I was going to say like. I'm, really interested to see what his value would be like if he actually ends up on the market because like I mentioned he is a little older he makes six million a year which is not there aren't so presumably like a team looking to trade for him would be a team that's in contention 
but those teams don't have a lot of cap space. So like, I, I wonder what the market for him, like I actually see like a bigger market for all Mark for Hall. Like, I wonder what it actually looks like because there's probably, there probably aren't many teams that can add like a $6 million a year, 30 something forward. Like he'd be a great last piece for, for a bunch of teams, but everyone else who's, you know, trying to contend is up against the salary cap, just like the Bruins are. I mean, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe Toronto might try to shake things up too if they let some guys go. And I don't think, I don't think Toronto thinks getting Taylor Hall is the answer or the culture change I need, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that they were interested in him before, like that, that was because as a deadline, they got Felino, right? And everyone's like, why didn't they just get Taylor Hall instead? Like, I, what, what the I know Washington wanted him. I and they're kind of is that, is that your inside situation. is that your inside yes, source that's again? That's my source. <laughs> I know Washington wanted him. Um, but they're and they're in a weird situation where they were sellers. Uh, how far are they from putting together a Stanley Cup contending roster? I mean, they sell a Vetchkin. Um, who knows? Um, uh, maybe that's that's a possibility for you know an option for him to go somewhere. I personally like Taylor Hall. Um I don't know. He's, he's, you know, he's just a nice guy. He's easy to talk to. I mean, maybe biasly as uh, media members, he's one of the people that gives us our better answers. So he helps us out sometimes. Um, so I'd be more interested in what you could get for Almar. Cause I think it would be more. And, and I also think you have redundancy there that you don't necessarily need both. All right. Well, Bridget, I don't know if you have anything else, Scott. Uh, we've certainly discussed a lot for um for may which is great there'll be a lot more to discuss throughout the summer and with you know like obviously we mentioned the draft and free agency and a ton to, to discuss but hopefully we got we got your your bruins fix out of the way for for may or at least this week it's been a it's been a tough month watching some well we thought were lesser teams going further than the bruins it's it's not going to get any easier so all we could do is just look ahead to kind of hey, forget the past at least the celtics didn't choke yet so, yeah. yeah. And uh, Jason the Celtics Tatum, really was... like to get like right on the verge of choking and then they finally wake up. It's, it's like they want that to be like the story, right? It's it's this dramatic game seven. We won in game seven. Jason Tatum came alive in game seven. He he gave us a great quote, the one of the best there ever was or whatever after the game. You know, I'm just one of the best. I was dying because no hockey player would ever come close to saying the stuff that yeah. some of these basketball players say. It's like, well, maybe the best there ever was. Could get his, maybe, maybe the best whoever was could get his first championship this year before he starts it, calling himself that. So we'll see what happens. It's cringy, but basketball culture is well, so much a, different. He said one of the culture. best players in the world, like currently, which he clearly is. He fourth yeah, in MVP voting you, first like, team. Sidney Crosby's never going to say that. Like, Carmen David doesn't say stuff like that. They should. Um, Maybe like people would actually pay attention and they'd actually be interesting. No, people would dislike Con him. Connor McDavid. Yeah, but people just don't even know anything about Connor McDavid. He's just boring. He's just boring. That's true. He is. <laughs> That's I, don't know, I know. feel like you'd get chirped so bad. Just like he's one of the best. Like every time he made a mistake, oh, you're one of the best, Scott. Like, oh, God. It was just. It made me cringe a little bit because you could think you're, you know, oh, I did it for my family. I did it for my teammates. I, I pulled myself out of it. Or like the classic, God really helped me through this last quarter. But I was just, 
<laughs> it's it's interesting going from hockey to basketball and I covered like I'm at a lot of Red Sox stuff with WEI and it is just so different it is it is not yeah. ideal it reminds me how much I like hockey compared to the but other if, sports if you if you back it up with a record setting game seven then that was you know, fun more, that was more fun power because... to you that'd be like like that'd be like if Connor McDavid did say that and then scored four goals in game seven you'd be like touche all right cool. <laughs> yeah but then you'd have to go win the championship so just like Tatum needs to. Anyway, Scott, that's Scott's new job. He's a he's a Celtics reporter now. Don't get well, too used to it. You're gonna have to come back to hockey at some point. Yeah. Maybe 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 I can get him to launch uh Sunday shoot around. <laughs> yeah. Well you're gonna have to find new partners. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I think Razor can do that. Oh yeah, follow, yeah. He's a great follow, um, follow Scott for all your Celtics coverage. Yes. And uh Keep it here for your Bruins coverage. And mm-hmm. if you guys have anything else, we'll probably wrap it up. All yeah. good. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.